are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We uh, finished a series called Hurry just uh, a few weeks ago, and it was not by accident that we put hurry at the time of the year that we did. Um, I, I was hoping that we would, we would kind of slow down some. Uh, because we believe hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And, and could we potentially slow down a little bit in preparation for this season that we call Lent? And, and could we, in this season, begin to focus more clearly on Jesus' suffering and the sacrifice that he made of his own life? So I don't, I don't mind saying that, that entering the season of Lent, for me, feels a little bit like walking into a funeral home. Do, do, do you resonate with that? Um, I, I feel a need to be a little more solemn, maybe, and, and maybe a little more serious. And I don't mind also confessing to you that I never look forward to walking into a funeral home. But I know that I need to be there. And so I'm wondering, what is it that God might do in our hearts over these next six weeks in the season of Lent as we focus on Jesus' suffering and sacrifice moving toward Easter? Life's complicated. Can I get a witness? It's messy. Um, we're, we're often faced with challenges and problems and um, and we don't know what to do about them sometimes. We don't know how to solve them. Uh, people are challenging. Amen. How do we respond in times like those? See, when my life is going great, everything is going well, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I, I respond to situations well. But, but when life is challenging and the problems are you know, monumental in my mind, then how do I respond? Fear? Anger? Blame? <laughs> what I want to do over these next six weeks is look at the last hours, literally hours of Jesus' life. Beginning on Thursday, just after sundown, where the Last Supper begins, there's an image just over my head. It's, it's the image of Jesus holding in his hands the bread and the chalice of wine at the Last Supper. We've also given you a copy of that image to take home with you, and I hope that image is burned into your mind over these next few weeks. And I even hope and pray that this morning that image takes on no meaning for you. We'll also talk about the garden and all that Jesus experienced there, the betrayal, the denial, we will talk about the suffering, the whipping, the beating, the crown of thorns, and we'll talk about the cross. But what I want you to ask yourself as we walk through these weeks together is how did Jesus respond to great adversity, to distress, to great conflict? And, and what's interesting to me is that Jesus responded with Empathy and love, grace, compassion, and forgiveness. 
And when I found myself there, I asked myself this question, is it even possible for you and I to become more like Jesus? I mean, yeah, when life's good, I can respond well, but man, when you put me in the vice and start to squeeze me, <laughs> I, I feel like there is this kind of narrative in our society that says, if, if you treat me good, you know, then I'll treat you good. But if you, if you cross me or if you cross one of mine, then this, be, this idea of me becoming like Jesus, that's out the window. You're going to get what you got coming to you, you know. Is, is this even a possibility for you and me in 2023 as followers of Jesus? Is it possible for you and I to become more like Jesus even in the difficult times that we face in life? So um, Matthew 26, want to open your Bible with me? It, it's where Matthew begins his passion narrative. We, we refer to it a passion narrative because it's, it's those things leading up to um, and the experience of Jesus' suffering and death. Uh, when you get to verse 26, Matthew 26, 26, um, we're at the Last Supper, and this is when Jesus actually takes the bread in his hand and he breaks it. Now, here's what's happened up into that point, okay? Before that, there was this dispute about which of the disciples is the greatest. I know, feels really shallow, doesn't it, in light of the fact that Jesus is about to down a cross. But that was the conversation. Jesus finally just gets up and gets a basin, and he gets some water and a towel, and he gets on his knees and he washes their dirty feet. And he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. And then he says, there is no servant that's greater than his master. In other words, he says, you want to talk about who's great? It's the one who washes the other's feet. And I got a feeling the disciples said, well, you can, I'll withdraw my name then. And the other one said, yeah, I'll just withdraw mine too, you know. After that, the, the, the betrayal is predicted by Jesus that Judas will betray him and Judas leaves the room. And then Jesus talks about the fact that Simon Peter will deny him, and, and then you get to verse 26. You ready? While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is unleavened bread, maybe the fill of more like a large, large cracker, and gave thanks to his disciples and gave it rather to his disciples after giving thanks, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And, and then he took a cup. Now, this would be a chalice filled with wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see these symbols, the breaking of the, of the bread, the pouring out of the wine? They are symbols of what was to come in Jesus' life in the next few hours. My body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be poured out. And then he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day 
when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's talking about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. He's looking to the future with great hope. And, and when they had sung a hymn, and in a moment you'll understand why they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is, this is God's word for us today. You, uh, you walked into the room and uh, you, received, you received elements when you came in these. And uh, you know that when you do, that as we move toward the end of the sermon, that I'm going to ask you to, to take those elements out of your pocket or purse. And, and I'll kind of go through the process of remove the bread first. It's just much cleaner if we do it that way. And, and then remove the tab from the drink. And I'll remind you of Jesus' words when he took the bread and broke it and when he took the cup. How many times, how many times do you think you've received communion in your life? How many, how many do you think it would be for you? I mean, for me, it would be hundreds How many, how many people in the history of the world do you think have received communion? I mean, today I'm told that a couple of a billion people claim to follow the teachings of Jesus. So that if that's, if that's the number of people receiving it presently, how, how many? Because the next question is, how long have we been doing this? Well, almost 2,000 years. And so for almost 2,000 years, people have been receiving Holy Communion over and over and over again. I don't know how many times, if you just had the number, how many times has Holy Communion been served to an individual? I mean, what, what number is that? It's, it's part of who we are. And, and when you think about it, well, I don't usually say about it. That's my friend Stan, who's a Canadian, who says about it. It just came out that way. But when you think about it, I mean, this is the core of being Christian. To participate in the broken body and the blood of Jesus. So, let me talk to you about context, okay? Because if you want to talk about context, there's one word that, that you have to become familiar with. And so I'm excited this morning to just kind of take you on a little bit of a history journey with me and talk to you about the word Passover. Because if you want to talk about communion, Holy Communion, you have to think about Passover because that's what's going on in the story. They are celebrating Passover. So in 26 verse 1, Jesus reminds the disciples that Passover is in just two days, guys. You understand where we are, don't you? Passover is in two days. It's just two days away. And then he says, the Son of Man will be handed over and be crucified. It's the last time that Jesus will actually predict his death. And he says to those disciples, when they begin to ask him about making preparations for Passover, he says, 
well, I want you to go into the city. And, and, and Luke gets into great detail when he tells the story. He says, you're going to find a guy carrying a jar of water, and you're going to follow him. He'll greet you. You'll follow him to a house. And then you'll ask to speak to the owner of the house. And then you'll ask the owner of the house to show you the room. And he'll take you up and show you the room. And then you say to him, the teacher said that his time of departure is near, and he wants to have the Passover with his disciples at your house. And so that's what they did, and they prepared the meal. And so then we get to they were reclining at the table. Now, I, I, think, I think for you and me, you would say, well, tell me a little more about Passover. So it's one of the three festivals that God says, I want you to remember really well the things that I've done. And to help you remember, I want you to have a festival annually to celebrate it. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, this is what God says through his word. Three times a year, all of your men, okay, must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Now, the place he chose was Jerusalem. So you understand if you don't live in Jerusalem, you're going to travel to Jerusalem. You're going to pilgrimage to Jerusalem, okay, three times a year. And he names the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's Passover, and unleavened bread had become one by Jesus' day, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. So three times a year, you're going to make this journey. Can you imagine mothers cooking, getting everything ready, packed all up, and here's dad. Where's he going? On the pilgrimage. He's headed to Jerusalem. Where's he live? Nazareth. Who's he taking? His 12-year-old son. He's of age. And they're going to make the journey. And they journey along in groups of people, and they go to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. So you might say, help me understand a little bit what God wanted them to never forget. So let me pull up a chair and just tell you a story, okay? You remember the people of Israel were in slavery, Egyptian slavery. And life was hard, and they prayed that God would deliver them. And so God raises up a man named Moses to deliver them from their slavery, all right? They're working long, hard hours. They're, they're not being treated well. They're being treated as slaves, and they're praying for deliverance, and God raises up Moses to deliver them. You might remember there are 10 plagues. Moses goes before the Pharaoh of Egypt. Let my people go. He will not let them go. 10 times there's a plague. There's frogs, there's locusts. There's hell. You remember all the different plagues. Finally, the 10th and final plague was the killing of the firstborn son in every home. But the angel revealed to the people of Israel that if you will sacrifice a lamb the night before and you will wipe the blood of the lamb over the door frame of your home, then the death angel will pass over your house, and your firstborn child will live. It broke Pharaoh's back. And he gave in and said, let them go. They left in haste. Pharaoh changes his mind and he comes after them. But God lets them cross the Red Sea on dry land. And so Passover is this celebration of the saving of their firstborn who was passed over. And it's, and it's a celebration of freedom from slavery. They're no longer slaves to any man. And it's, and it's a celebration of their escape from Egypt. 
And it's a celebration of this new covenant that Moses helps them to establish with God, the Mosaic covenant. It's, it's incredible. So what happens when you go to Passover festival in Jerusalem with all of your buddies? Well, you go to the temple and there's this purification that happens. It's done by sprinkling of water. And then there's a sacrificial lamb that is sacrificed to God. And then after that, there is a meal. What, what's on the menu? Roasted lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, fruit puree, and wine. The lamb is a reminder of the lamb. The unleavened bread is a reminder that we left in haste and we didn't put yeast in the bread to let it rise. There wasn't time. The bitter herbs are a reminder of the bitter, harsh suffering you did as slaves. The fruit puree is a reminder of the bricks and the mortar of the buildings you built for Pharaoh. And the wine represents freedom. Hmm. It's in the backdrop of this Seder meal that Jesus stands up with a piece of bread and a glass of wine and he reinterprets them in light of his impending death. And so let me read the words to you again. Um, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. It's a representation of his life. My body will be broken for you. And, and then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My, my blood is going to be spilled, poured out, so that your sins can be forgiven. You understand, Jesus now says, I am the lamb. Instead of a sacrificial lamb, it's me. It's my body. It's my blood. It's my body broken. It's my blood that will be spilled for you. And, and, and here's what I've waited, you know, to, to say to you this morning. When you ask, so what's the message of Passover? Here, here it is, okay? Through the suffering of Jesus, the new Passover lamb, there is a new exodus. We're escaping people. We're getting out of here. And what are we getting freed from? Is it from slavery? It's freedom from the bondage of sin. Rick Harvey, you are telling me. <laughs> you're telling me that it is possible. I mean, you're telling me that this, because of Jesus' suffering, who becomes the new Passover lamb, you're telling me that it is possible that I can escape, that I can get away from the bondage of sin in my life? That's what I'm telling you. That's why I'm telling you it is a possibility for you and me to become more like Jesus in every situation of our lives. You understand it's what Paul meant when he said you are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You, you can be free. Anybody saying, I, I want to get free. Went to date night Friday night. Thought I might get a pass. We had attended a two-day marriage conference the last three years in a row. 
So I understood this was going to be a two-hour deal. And, and I said to Annette, I don't know. I might not need to go to that. But she thought I probably needed the booster. <laughs> and, and so we came. It was, it was great. It wasn't good. It was great. The music was worth coming for and the food and the party in the atrium. But the content was so good and so helpful for me and Annette. They threw out this wild number. As high as 95%, they said. Marital conflicts and arguments could be resolved. And they said, we're not, we're not, this aren't, this isn't hearsay. We're giving you, we're giving you scientific data. Can be resolved if one practice would occur in that relationship. You know what it is? No, but you want to know, don't you? They said if, if the spouse would go over to their other spouse and look at the situation from their perspective. So Annette and I are into it. We're sideways. We're not doing well. And, and they're saying if I would just go over and stand in Annette's shoes and try to, try to feel what she's feeling and think what she thinks and see it from her perspective that we could resolve this thing. We have a word for it in the English language. You know what it is? Empathy. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Who has the gift? Who doesn't have the gift so much? Who didn't raise their hand at all? The broken bread, the chalice of wine are symbols of what Jesus is about to endure. You hear me? He's already said, I will suffer. He said again in verse 1, I will be crucified. He knows what's coming. And how does he respond? John 14 through 17 says that he comforts his disciples. He tells them what is about to happen. And then he prays over them. Jesus views life from the disciples' perspective. Jesus, you realize what's about to happen to you? Oh, I know. But he says, I'm thinking about my disciples right now. And they're scared. And they're hurting. And they're concerned. And I need to comfort them. And I need to tell them what's about to happen. And I need to pray over them. Bob Benson said, I have been prayed for, I've been prayed about, and I've been prayed at. I've been prayed at a few times myself. 
but Jesus prays for them. Listen to this. In spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their fear, in spite of their failures, in spite of their denials, in spite of the fact that they're every one of them going to abandon him in a few hours. Do you think it's interesting that the first Holy Communion was served to the very weak? Which tells me something. Maybe there's a place at the table for me. Maybe I could become more like Jesus. When I open my Bible to Matthew 26, I find the subheading, the Lord's Supper. I like the word supper. I tease a lot about growing up in a small Kentucky town. But we had supper every night of the week. We only ate dinner once, and that was on Sunday for lunch. In fact, when my mom wanted us to come to eat, she would say it that way. Supper's ready, kids. You had your supper? We would ask others. But I think my growing up has informed my understanding to some degree of the Lord's Supper. There were, there were six of us at our table on a regular night, but we didn't have many regular nights. It seemed like it was really often that there were other people at our table. On Sunday night, we didn't eat supper till after church, and there was almost always a lot of people on Sunday night at our table. We had these little stools. <clears throat> they were kind of small, but they were great because you could get a lot of people around the table, and my mom would say, kids, run and get the stools. And we would run through the house collecting these little stools and just pulling way more people up to the table than you should ever put at a table. And I think that's the way it is for us, and it's what God intended that we come to the table together as a family and friends who are part of this community of faith living in relationship with Jesus. And so we celebrate his presence like a big family. And so this morning... I want you to take those elements together as a family. And, and I, wanna, I want you to open the bread first and prepare yourself to receive the elements and, and then open the drink. But I want you to hear me. And so in the midst of juggling that and trying to listen to me, it may be this morning that you're saying, I want that life, Rick Harvey. I, I want that freedom that you're talking about. I'm tired of feeling like I'm a slave. I want to become more like Jesus. Jesus. 
And, and I think it's just completely appropriate this morning. I, I feel like it'd be good if you can juggle everything and still stand to stand with me. Can you do that? It's appropriate to come to the altar to receive the elements. It's appropriate to come any time in the next, you know, five minutes or so to the altar to pray. If, if, if you want to become a follower of Jesus this morning, th th there are pastors who will just be standing. Dan's here. Casey will come. and Lou can come down out of your retirement, Lou, will you? Pray with somebody to come to know Jesus today. You, you can come and find that right relationship with him this morning. If you saying life's complicated, Rick. I need God's grace to navigate. I want to be like Jesus. Come down and pray. For whatever reason you need to pray, if you need healing today, you can come and, and pray. And so we'll receive the elements together. You can receive them where you are, or you can come forward and receive them, and you can come forward after we've received them. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it. And he gave thanks for the cup and he said, my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it, all of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That we can be free because your body was broken and your blood was poured out for us. We are grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.